Hello, friends. Pastor Jason here. I'm excited to be back with you on this episode. Thank you for liking and sharing these podcasts. Uh, We're already at 1,899 downloads. We'll be at 1,900 today, which is just amazing, and I appreciate uh, that. It, it kind of encourages me to be able to stay on track and be able to study through the Scripture. You know, as I'm teaching you, I'm also teaching myself. I want to continue this on this episode uh, to be able to talk about the gates of Jerusalem. And I'm going to try to get through them. And I think, uh, you know, it's going to be some plowing, but I do believe it's worth it. And as I've studied them, I'm helping, it's helping me to be able to retain. And I pray for you that you're helping to be able to retain what some of these gates of Jerusalem meant. On the gates of Jerusalem, remember, Jerusalem means the city of peace. And when we look into the book of Nehemiah, we look in chapter 3. We also look in chapter 12 and some other places, but mainly chapter 3 and 12. And we're looking how Nehemiah began to rebuild the city gates. Remember I said before, you know, we're concerned about building bridges, but sometimes we need to build walls. Some of us let everything into our life and it causes chaos when we need to learn to have gates in our life, to set boundaries properly, to reinstitute the peace that God's designed us to have. Remember, Adam and Eve had perfect peace in the garden and they messed it up by doing what the enemy wanted them to do was fall into sin. So by that happening, them being our great, 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 great grandfather and grandmother, if you will, would they imputed sin into us as a human being, we have a sin nature and our whole goal of this Christian walk is to find peace with God again. And when Jesus died on the cross, he gave us the perfect peace of God to where the veil in the temple was rent because God and man was separated. There was enmity against God and man. God was judgeful to man, but God, when he sent his son, he, he allowed himself to be in the likeness of man, but yet without sin. And that perfect sacrifice appeased God to where that veil of the temple was rent to where God's judgment and man could meet head to head through mercy. And that's kind of the picture of what this is. So it's a pretty in-depth view when Nehemiah rebuilds these cities' walls that he's rebuilding the peace because of the sin. Remember, Jerusalem had fallen to Nebuchadnezzar because of their sin, because of the judgment of God, the hand of God, the judgment of God. But now Nehemiah's job was to come back and restore the city walls to where they could be protected and be a peaceful uh, city again. And also then, you know, Ezra had come in, Jerubbabel had begun rebuilding the, the temple itself which was inside the city walls. And then after that, Ezra, the prophet, came in and he began instituting the law and teaching the people the law. So the city was being rebuilt. The law and the temple worship was being reinstituted. And then after last but not least, the nation as a whole was becoming who they were meant to be in the first place, which was the children of God. But as we look at the city gates, the old the old gate is the gate that we're up to now, and this kind of has a twofold meaning. And first of all, the old gate, when I look at the old gate, I remember as far as being uh, dealing with the flesh, I remember to look back and understand that I can't go to my old way of living life anymore. You know, that when you look into the scripture in Luke chapter 5, verse 37, it says, no man put a new wine into old bottles, else a new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled and the bottles shall perish. 
In other words, what he's saying to the people at the time, he's looking to the Jewish people, and, and Jesus is speaking about the Jewish people, and he's saying, you can't do things the old way. You can't now think you're justified because you give a sacrifice. You're justified because you attend this festival or you do this thing, the law, the things that you have come up with to make yourself right with God, because we know that they were doing a lot of those things, but yet living a sinful life. And so to the Jewish person, he's always dealing with, and Paul dealt with this at great extent in Romans chapter five, six, seven, but Jesus is telling them, you can't do things the old way, but as Christians, and you know, we don't necessarily think about the law in the same way, but we still have our old way of doing things. You know, we have our selfish ways of, of feeling good about ourselves. We have our selfish ways of getting our needs met through whatever it is, whatever activity, whatever drug, whatever thing we do, we can't look back to those old ways. And that's what this gate, you know, closing to this gate and the repairing of this gate allows us to see that we can't go back to the old ways. But then in the spirit, in the Christian life, it also speaks to the fact that there were the ancient past. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, you know, Jeremiah, the Lord said to Jeremiah, stand in the crossroads and look for the ancient past. What's the ancient past? The way of Abraham that he believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham was our father of faith to the ancients that they walked hand in hand with God to where they walked and they had a journey with God to where they constantly was working toward their faith and growing in their knowledge of God. They anticipated the coming of our savior. Now they anticipated him coming and dying on a cross being the perfect sacrifice. Now we look back to the cross, but we still anticipate this walking with God continually. And that is an ancient path. I'm afraid we're kind of coming up with new ways. We, you know, are different ways to be able to come to God when really, you know, it's the basic things that really work in the kingdom of God, you know, church attendance, prayer, you know, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much praying and seeking God and reading the word of God. You know, I'm not against some new ways of doing things and different things. And I like change, but I want to be careful not to throw out the ancient ways. The, the old timers had found revival the same way we'll find revival on their knees in the word of God, seeking God, fasting, prayer, and those kind of things. But then we come to the dung gate. And the dung gate, remember, if anything, any excrement, if you will, of an animal or of humans was going to be done away with, this was the gate that that stuff went out. So, you know, you didn't want the, the dung to come out from the animals at the same place you got your drinking water at the water gate or the fountain gate. I mean, that wouldn't have been good, you know, kind of cross communication there wouldn't have, wouldn't have been so well. So we come to the dung gate and this is basically the bad habits and the worthless things of this world. You know, we have to remember, you know, we can't continue in sin that grace may abound. We can't continue in these bad habits, but at the same time, when we fail and we make mistakes, we should not let shame enter our life. We have to be very careful because I've heard said before, isn't shame a good thing? Well, no. Let me just answer it shortly. No, because when I think of shame, as far as being in counseling, I think of toxic shame and shame is never good. Shame will lead you to feeling worthless, no good. And it'll lead you to being to just acting like a sinner. The Bible says, so man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
I don't want to think that I'm shameful. I want to think that I'm a child of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Those are the thoughts that I want to have going on in my mind and in my heart because I don't want it to lead me to addiction. Shame itself leads to addiction. And we have to be careful. And I mean addiction of, I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol. I'm talking about overspending. I'm talking about overeating. I'm talking about things, you know, the sins that we don't talk about as much in the church. I mean, it'll lead to us needing that because shame actually damages the mind, damages the brain and defeats us to where we feel like, well, we're in a prison. We're just no good. Well, if you're in a prison, you will act like a prisoner, right? I mean, a heathen. So the Dungate was a way to get rid of the, to make sure we're not continuing in old bad habits, but also at the same time that God took our shame. You know, Romans 8, 1 says that we do not have to live under condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation who walk after the spirit, not in the flesh. For them who walk after the spirit, not in the flesh, we don't have to be condemned anymore. Praise God. There's no condemnation. And we have to remember when we're rebuilding this gate in our lives that we do not have to be have toxic shame in our life because it'll lead us to destruction. You know, I, I'm a believer in let's teach people that they're a child of God, that God favors them and blesses them. Not that he, I know he judges sin and I know we need to get the sin out of our life, but I think we need to move on from there. I think we need to remind people who they are in Christ. They spent their whole life, you know, knowing that they're, they're no good, knowing that the enemy's been putting shame on them. Remember, we're under the curse. If we're not in Christ, we're under the curse. And when you're under the curse, you're in the devil's playground and he's, he's speaking words into your life. That's how it works. But then we pass from the dung gate to the water gate. Of course, we know the water gate is the word of God. You know, it is it is the thing of God that blesses us, that helps us. You know, that's what I tell people. Don't be thinking you can live your life without the nourishment of the word of God. It's the water gate. It's the thing after salvation you need to use as your meal. Remember what Jesus said to the devil. Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil tempted Christ three times in the wilderness. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I know people that try to walk with God and hear me, friends, I've made this mistake too, but I'm telling you, they try to walk with God and they say they've tried, they've tried, they've tried, but they never open the scripture and they never dedicate themselves to the word of God. Friends, I'm telling you, you get into the word of God, you, you embrace the word of God. You say, God, help me to understand this scripture and you read it and you make it a regiment, a daily diet. You will grow in Christ. If you are saved, you will grow in Christ. And by the way, if you're not saved, you are to read the word of God anyway, because if you read the word of God, the word of God will get into you and you'll understand the things of God. I know people that's been born again just by beginning to read the scripture. God begins to talk to them through the scriptures. God talks to people in many different ways, but he uses his scripture mostly to talk to people. But then we pass that gate, the water gate, now to the horse gate. And the horse gate is basically the idea of arrogance or thinking you can do things on your own. You know, we had to be so very careful. This gate was just north of the water gate, across from the temple. And it's so important that when you go into worship, you understand when you go into this Christian life, you understand that you have no capacity to make a bunch of great stuff happen. You just have to be careful because there's a balance between know who, knowing who you are in God, 
But then sometimes when you know who you are in God, then that can actually lead to pride to where you get puffed up. No, you know who you are in God because of humility and because of the sacrifice that he paid, not because of the things that you do. Psalms 20 and 7 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Everything that I have that's positive in my life has came from God. Everything I've had, every time God protected me when I was in sin, it was because of God. There's nothing good that's come from the enemy. The Bible says in John 10, he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. But I cannot trust in myself. There's a When I rebuild my life in the Christian life, I can never rebuild this city and rebuild this gate and know that it's trusting on God. It reminds me that I don't trust in horses. I don't trust in chariots. I don't trust in my own strength, but I trust in the living God. And then we come down to the Eastern Gate. And Eastern Gate, from what I've understood, and Dr. Reiner wrote this down, this controls the expectations for our future, our dreams, our vision, and our hopes. What was the Eastern Gate? Well, the Eastern Gate was where the Messiah came through when he came in the city. On you know, Right before Easter, he comes walking in, and they're throwing the palm leaves down. He comes entering into the Eastern Gate. Remember, east is the expectation that Christ is coming. East is where the sun comes up. East is where the sun went in. Amen. And so the eastern gate, it, it's our expectations, our dreams, our visions. Do you know, I get it's so hard sometimes with people because they can't see, you know, the forest through the trees. In other words, you try to talk to them about God and what God has for them, but they just don't have the faith that they don't have the faith that God will get them through the week. They don't have the faith that barely God can get them through the minute. So they just give up before they even get started in the kingdom of God or in this walk with God. But we must know that God has great hopes for us. You know, the, the sunrise in the east, so we know it's a new day every day. We have a new chance every time we fail. I've said this a lot, but every test is a testimony. Every time we go through a failure, we can learn. You know, because we fail doesn't make us a failure, but I have an expectation that God's going to do something in my life. I have an expectation today that I'm going to be able to go out and be able to share Christ with someone. I have an expectation today to where I can be a new creature. I can have a new day, and I don't ever want to be hopeless. The Eastern Gate, and I won't stay long, here, but you know, later than the Persians, they found, they took control of Jerusalem and they, they were, they didn't believe in God. They said there was no God, but then they went in and cemented the Eastern gate. You can look on the internet or you can look, I've been to Israel and the Eastern gate is completely cemented shut. You know, the, the city wall gates, 40 foot tall, if you will, and you know, several feet wide, but it's cemented shut. You can't enter anymore through the Eastern gate. They didn't believe in God, but they wanted to cement that thing closed because they knew God was coming back. And I'm telling you something, friends, the Eastern gate, it doesn't matter if it's cemented with 40 foot thick cement and 40 foot high, God's coming through the gate. By the way, he can kick it down or he can walk through it. He walked through it once he was resurrected in scripture. I'm telling you, there's hope of the king coming. The king is coming. And by the way, the hope and the resurrection is the hope that I have. When I see trees bloom in the springtime, you know, we're going into winter now, but when I see trees bloom, it reminds me of the resurrection and the resurrection gives me hope that the, Hey, the God has the final word. I've seen people. You thought they were never going to make it. They were all but dead inside, but God does something supernatural. He raises them for, he raises them literally and into a new life. They're born again and they change the rest of their life forever. 
I believe that we're not hopeless, but we're hopeful in the Christian life. Then we come to the Mikpah Gate, M-I-P-H-K-D, Mikpah Gate. And this in the Mikpah Gate controls the influence of the other people in our lives. Remember, it's not that we can't let other people influence. It's just important who we open the gate to and who we close the gate to. This is so important because I have many times and dealt with personally, friends. I'll tell you personally, I've dealt with this to where, and I don't know why, but sometimes I allow people to affect me that I shouldn't allow to affect me. Sometimes they're not right with God. Sometimes they are right with God. They just don't understand me. Sometimes we have a personality conflict. They're too much like me. You, you probably never had that happen. And that's kind of why we marry opposites if you're married today. But, you know, they, we just have conflict. And sometimes they speak things. You have to be so careful. First of all, Christians, we have to be careful that we don't speak death into someone's life. But I've had people discourage me and I let them influence me too much. Remember, the opinion of God is above everyone else's opinion. Let me say it again. The opinion of God is above everyone else's opinion. No one's opinion can trump the opinion of God. So if you say that I'm no good, God says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. If you say that I'm not worthy, God says I'm made worthy by the blood of the lamb. If you say that I'm a loser, God says I'm the head, not the tail. You see, his word trumps every other word. And I receive the word of God. And I pray you today, friends, you receive the word of God. And all of a sudden, those opinions opinions all dissipate. They all get lower and lower. And you know what, friends, if you don't like me, that's okay. But listen to me. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank God that he loves me in spite of myself and that he's merciful to me. He chooses not to look on my sin. And when we look at this, we have to remember James chapter 317 says, but the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, then gentle and easy to entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without part partiality and without hypocrisy. So it's easy. It's peaceable. It's gentle. The wisdom from above is pure. See, he purely loves me and he wants to engage with me and he wants me to overcome this world and the opinions of other people. And then we come to the Ephraim gate. The Ephraim gate controls the fruitfulness and productivity of our life. So basically there's two ways of fruitfulness that you have. Remember, what it says in Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that may he also reap. It's so difficult to see someone sowing discord and then reaping the benefits of discord, to sowing sin and then reaping the symptoms of sin. They go out and sin and sin and sin, and then they have the symptom of sin, and they pay the penalty of sin by jail, the penalty of sin by separation, the penalty of sin by bad consequences, you know, not a good mood, you know, in depression, in discouragement, whatever it is, when you see the symptom of sin, but you have to remember, you can't sow apples and pray that you receive grapes. You can't sow wheat and hope that you get cotton. It doesn't work that way. When God was instituting the tribes, the tribe of Ephraim means double ash heap, or it means I will be doubly fruitful. So we have a choice to make in the kingdom of God. We can be called a double ash heap, which leads to nothing. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, nothing. It is just ash, or we can be doubly fruitful. I believe it's a choice we make in our life according 
Two, the choice we make to serve God on a daily basis. And then last but not least, we come to the prison gate, friends, and we're going to get through this. The prison gate is the thing that controls the things in our lives that lead to bondages and addictions and things like that. But also, I think this also has a twofold meaning. You remember, we had, hey, I thank God that, yes, I have sin in my life, but I'm not controlled by sin anymore. If we are in this world, we are controlled by sin. We are under the curse. We are under a selfish sin nature. We're controlled by it. It doesn't matter. You may not drink, chew, or hang around that girls would do, but I'm telling you, if you're not saved today, if you're not born again, you are controlled by a selfish desire to try to self-promote and try to be somebody within your own self. You're a selfish person if you don't depend on God. Let's put it that way. But listen, friends, if we're a saved person, we can stand. The, the Nehemiah, in chapter 12, the children of Israel marched around the city, and they sta- stood in this prison gate. If you have another translation, it'll say the gate of the guard. But they stood in this gate, and they shouted, and they praised God. And the Bible says that they heard the children of Israel from afar off. Why do you think they did that? Because I believe they looked and they stood in the prison gate and knew we were under bondage. See, the children of Israel had been in captivity from King Nebuchadnezzar for 70 years. Now, friends, that's a big sentence. 70 years. I've had some of my friends that got 60 years sentences, but I'm telling you this right now. The children of Israel had come out of that 70 years, and when they stood there, they stood at the gate of the guard looking at the temple. You know, Ezra was across the temple standing on one wall. Nehemiah is standing on the other wall. They're facing each other, and they're shouting, and they're praising God, but they were still standing. Some of them was standing in the prison gate remembering, we're not in prison anymore. We don't have to be under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar anymore. We are now free because who the Son is set free is free indeed. And they shouted and they embraced the things of God. And they said, God has allowed us to be rebuilt. Friends, we need to stand in the prison gate and shout and say, you know, I'm not where I need to be, but I praise God that I'm not where I used to be. And that we can look back. I can look back on my life and say, I'm not bound by those addictions anymore. I'm not bound by those insecurities anymore. I'm not bound under that curse anymore. And I can stand there. And friends, that's what keeps me from allowing things in my life today. Because when I stand there and look back on the past, I never regretted serving Christ. I served, I began serving Christ at 29 and I never regretted serving him. I just wish I'd have done it sooner. But when I look back, God helped me never to let anything in my life that binds me like a prison. That's a prison of unforgiveness. It's a prison of self-righteousness. It's a prison of bad behaviors and bad habits. I can't let them into my life. I've worked too hard to get where I am, and I don't want anything else coming in my life. Friend, I hope this word's been good to you. That gets us through the gates in Nehemiah's time, and there's so much to study there and so much more to talk about. You know, I just want to encourage you. You know, the scripture says in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also the youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And that's really the final scripture that in 2 Timothy I want to leave you with. Flee the youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Have a pure heart today, my friends. Your city will be rebuilt. You'll see God do some great things. You'll see him take a pile of ashes and turn them into a fruitful life. But most of all, one day, you'll stand before an all-sufficient God. He'll say to you, welcome in, thou good and faithful servant. 
Friends, until next time, have a great and wonderful week. God bless.